Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. Children are dismissed to go to Children's Church. You all are dismissed to go to Genesis chapter 17. Dismissed to go on a field trip to ancient Canaan. I almost said ancient Israel. It's not ancient Israel yet. Open my notes here. I had a minor catastrophe. Minor because in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But I deleted all of my sermon notes on accident from the entire Genesis series. Well, 12 up to where we are in 17. So minor, minor. Because really, it doesn't doesn't matter. In the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. So we're in Genesis chapter 17 today. Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. This will be a great day. Not for babies, but all right. Part six of our summer Torah series puts us in this situation with Abram still. We're studying the life of Abram all summer. He's about to be Abram no longer, but we're not there yet. I have... I've just jumped, I've used all the Abraham, Abraham, Abe sometimes. Forgive me for my uh, callousness calling him Abe. But the story here picks up when Abram is 99 years old. And it tells us that at, at verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old. The author is giving us an indication here that time has passed because we knew that uh, in the last verse, of chapter 16, so just one verse prior, Abram was 86 years old. Now he's 99, so 13 years have passed in the space of like two centimeters in my text. Right? That's uh, There's nothing there. The author has skipped 13 years of Abram's life. It's not a good biography if we were just biographying. But the Bible is doing something, the author is doing something for us to help us see how the last story and this story need to be seen together. We don't know what happened to Abram's life, so I'm not going to speculate about things that happened in his life in between there. It is also 24 years after Abram moved from Ur, or Haran, that's a little confusing in the text, but when he came to Canaan, we'll say it that way. 24 years, because he was 74 years old when God called him to go to Canaan. So it's been 20, the whole story so far has been 24 years. Here we just jumped 13 because these stories are meant to be seen as connected. The pattern, actually, the other indication that these stories are meant to be read together is that the pattern continues. We've noticed a pattern in the, in the, in the story as we've gone. In the last chapter, God gave a speech. Abe responded. God gave a speech. Abe questioned, responded in a question. God gave a speech, and Abe, um, Abe responded. Abe didn't respond. He responded to his wife. That caused a whole bunch of problems. In this story, we actually see the same pattern continue. God gives three speeches. There's an Abraham response at the end of each speech. So these stories are meant to be part of a whole. And I'll just tell you the application right up front because it goes along with like the songs we sang. Uh, I don't tell, sometimes I tell Angela like, hey, sing these songs. But she's like, you didn't tell me what songs. I said, I didn't know. So she's saying, I give you my heart. So our application right up front, live in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God and be complete, and be complete. When we live in the presence of God, we will be complete. Uh, 
perfected, blameless, these things. And we'll talk about them as we go. But let's pray as we dive in. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your spirit in this building already. God, I'm humbled by the fact the almighty God is going to visit us and be with us in this moment of our lives in this place, Lord God. And we are just, we are astounded by your mercy and grace to do so. You've not left us alone. And God, you've given us your word. Help us, Lord God, to be competent, ethical, virtuous readers of your word. Lord, as we study, let your Holy Spirit speak through us and to us through it, and God, through your Spirit, as we've heard this morning already in the Word. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 1 through 3, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. So God calls himself God Almighty, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who rules, the sovereign God over the universe, God, the one who rules from the high mountain, God. This is God Almighty, God the sovereign, God El Shaddai. And he tells Abe to walk before me and be blameless. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Walk, to think about this, walk, to live one's life is what it's getting at here. To live one's life before me, in my presence. So live your life in my presence. And, and there's a couple ways to take this. I'm pretty sure, that, and I'm pretty sure, and the result is you will be blameless. If you live your life in my presence, you will be blameless. You'll be complete, whole, and sound. Don't walk before other people. Don't walk even before yourself. Walk before God. Live your life in God's presence and be blameless. We have a part to play in the blamelessness. We can't go around abusing our, uh, abusing our um, Egyptian uh, slave girls like we read in the last story. We've got a part to play in our blamelessness, but we cannot be good enough. God will make us blameless when we devote our lives to live for him. Amen? Amen. So, this walk before me theme, like we're only 17 chapters into Genesis. It's taken us like eight weeks to get there. If you went home and read this from Genesis 1 to 17, it'd take you about a half hour. And so you'd remember these things where it says like walk before me. This is not the first time God has wanted to walk before people. Enoch walked before God. Noah walked before God. He was righteous and blameless and walked before God and found favor with God. That was Noah. He did a good job. So good job, Noah. And it goes all the way back to the garden when you have Adam and Eve walking with God in the morning. You imagine they're just walking all the time. And I really do think God just wants to walk with us. God just wants to be a part of our lives. And we complicate the whole thing. Because like you just think of the stories before, we're out murdering people and raping people and doing all these horrible things. You're like, Sean, I've never murdered or raped anybody. But let me tell you what Jesus said to this. Jesus said, if you called your brother a fool, then you murdered. And if you looked on another person with lust, then it's adultery. We've done these things even if in our hearts. So we have the tendency to mess this up. But God wants a relationship with us. And that's what this chapter in all of its difficult and awkward passages, is getting at. That he may do what? 
that I may multiply you greatly. This goes right back to the first original blessing command. Be fruitful and multiply. God may multiply you greatly if we walk before him and be blameless in his sight. So what does Abe do in response to God coming down and appearing to him? He falls on his face. Abram fell on his face. This is a position of, I mean, we don't do this in the Pentecostal church. We're more standing up, hands raised. But what this is, is a, is a symbolic act of deep respect and honor towards God. And sometimes, I dare say, we need to fall on our faces before God. I would even argue we should do it literally. Maybe gently, don't like, you know, just face plant on there. But you can go slowly. But fall on your face before God of deep honor and respect. It's worship. It's obedience. Abram is saying here, God, I respect you. I love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. He's showing submission to God in this act. He will actually do this again in verse 17. And if you look at, there's a whole bunch of, I didn't, we're not going to talk about it, but I'll just say, if you want to do a Bible study on people who fall on their face, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. A couple more in Genesis, a whole bunch in Deuteronomy as well. So I do think we need to fall on our faces. And this is a big, this is a big point in this where the story kind of hinges because God speaks again. And this will be one of the longest speeches we've had from God so far, verses four through 16. We'll break it into two parts here to see what God says as a result of Abram falling on his face and respecting God. Because that was the whole thing. God says, I want to walk with you. Walk with me. And Abram says, he bows, falls on his face. He bows down and he says, I'll do this. I will walk with you. And the relationship goes from there. In verse 4, we'll read 4 through 8 here. Behold, this is God said to him. Yahweh is speaking. Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Uh, Abram there is the exalted father or father of many, which at this point in Abram's life is ironically sad. He's only got the one child born from an abusive relationship. And so it's a, it's a sad name, but it changes it. But your name shall be Abraham. And in this case, Abraham is the father of many nations. So the additional letters there add on the word nations. This is a huge promise. It's a sign of a covenant as well. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Name defined there. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. So we got it. Again, the promise from Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. Here we have both of those words again. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. This is actually a new part of that blessing. Kings now. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So the covenant details a lot of things that God will do. This is God's part of the covenant. I will, he says, make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish my covenant. I will give you the land. And then later, God will bless Sarah with a son and nations and kings. But the focus, the focus is not on the stuff. Sometimes we get stuck on the stuff and we forget the point that God wants the relationship with Abram. 
The stuff is secondary. The relationship is primary. He says in verse 7, to be God to you. To be God to you. In verse 8, I didn't read it, but we will now. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The point is not the stuff. If, if God is not God to Abram, he doesn't get the stuff. It's not about the stuff. It's about the relationship with God. It's been the whole story the whole time. What you are to someone is the relationship you have with them. So we'll use words like bride to be, bride to be. She will be my bride or a child, expecting a child, the child to be. To be is to be the relationship of father, mother, sister, brother, enemy, or friend. Here, God wants to be God to them. El Shaddai. The almighty God, provider, protector, king, and ruler from the mountain. God is not in this case. I have the word sugar daddy in my notes, thinking that some other word would come to me in the moment, but it's what I've got there. So no other word came to me. So God is not a sugar daddy. Give me some stuff, God. Where's my stuff? Where's my blessing? Like spoiled little children asking God for stuff. God wants you to live your life in his presence, and he will be enough. And there may be plans or purposes he has for you that include land or property or territory or people, but that's determinate on your relationship with him. Him, God wants to hang out with you. God wants to take walks with you. He wants you to read and ponder his word. He wants you to pray and worship in his spirit, and he wants you to ask him questions. He wants to be a part of your life. God wants to be a part of your life, not just on the daily, but all throughout the day. To not forget him in the mundane things while you're even washing the dishes or doing whatever job you have to do. And this sounds amazing. But there is one condition to this relationship. There's one condition. Bum, bum, bum. Verse 9 through 16. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. So this is Abraham's part to do. Which you and your offspring shall, oh wait, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So God, once they have this relationship, but there's one condition, Abraham. You have to slice off part of your penis. <laughs> I don't make this stuff up, okay? That's why we send the children out. This is what it says. This is what it says. You, verse 11, shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant a sign of the relationship between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Well, Abraham's like, okay, cool, because uh, I'm 99, so I'm not eight, years old, eight days old. So good. Every male throughout your generations, God, whether born in your house or bought with your money, the slaves are like, oh, no, us too. Um, 
who is not your offspring. It's like inclusive of everybody that Abraham is in his family. This is really inclusive. But he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskins shall be cut off from his people. So it's either cut off part or be cut off entirely because he has broken my covenant. Physical circumcision, this is a note for the fire Bible. Physical circumcision involves cutting away the foreskin from the penis. In the Old Testament, this act served as the sign that an individual Israelite was in covenant relationship with God. It was the sign based on God's laws and promises to his people and on the people's faithfulness and obedience to God. It symbolized a cutting away or separation from wickedness, ungodliness, and all that was unholy in the world. It was a sign of this covenant relationship with God, the relationship that he desires. Now those, oh, and tied to the last story, uh, it's a reminder. It's a reminder to Abraham and the people not to go around abusing people with that thing that just has a sign on it now. Whenever you use this, it will be a reminder of the contract we've got together that God fulfills the promise of being fruitful and multiplication. You don't have to take this, you don't have to take creation into your own hands. And a sign of the covenant relationship that you'll enter. Now, a skeptical reader, and I know some, you may know some too, may charge God with abuse here. God, this is abusive. But they had better not be the same people who also charge God with allowing evil in the world. God, in this case, is saying it is not right for you to go around abusing people. Here's a reminder that you shouldn't do that anymore. Also, even modern medicine continues the practice because they recognize some health benefits, so it would be just like God to punish people in a healthy, beneficial way. So, moving on. Verse 17. Uh, Verse 15, well, we'll read 15 through 18. I don't have much commentary on Sarah at this point. And God said to Abram, verse 15, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, uh, meaning princess, shall be her name. Princess, indication of the kings that will come from her. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So we've got this promise to Sarah as well. This, this all prompts Abram to, Abraham to respond again. Verse 17, then Abram fell on his face. So again, an act of deep reverence and worship to God. That he is, is here, he's going to worship God in reverence and respect. And laughed. So he fell on his face and laughed. Now this, this gets a little tricky here because when I think of people laughing, I don't know, it always seems a little disrespectful to laugh at God. But I don't, that's not what's happening here. In the context, he has fallen on his face in a reverent way and laughs. So in the context, the laughing is not meant to be disrespectful. I don't read it that way. I don't see it that way. Uh, we could have a discussion if you disagree. But it's, it's 
a rejoice. It almost seems like a rejoicing. God, you're going to do it. Finally, you're going to do it. Yes. I do think that if he had laughed without falling on his face, that would be disrespectful. We'll actually see Sarah do that in the next chapter. Sarah. Although, although within this, I do think it is safe to read this, that there is within Abram a limit to his faith, and we're seeing God push the limit of Abraham's faith again, and his response is to laugh as well. Joyous laughter. His faith has to be pushed beyond its limit to get to the next level. And sometimes that can be mind-blowing and astounding. This is something Abraham, Abraham cannot do, but he, has, he can't do it himself. But God says, I'm going to use your wife, Sarah. And he's like, oh, God, that's awesome. Uh, but it blows his mind, so he laughs. And I think we learn here, too, that our faith has to grow if we're to continue to put our trust in God's promise. When we arrive at the point where we have got to be like, I've got everything figured out. God, you can't even surprise me. Guaranteed he's going to surprise you. It might be in a good way. God, you blew my mind. It might be in a really harsh way, but he's going to surprise you. It's like the people who say, God, never send me to Kirksville, you know, and then they wind up in Kirksville. God, never send me to Brookfield, you know, or wherever. And God's like, you know what? That's the exact open door. You're since a Jonah. Never send me to Assyria. You're going to Syria. So God works in surprising ways. And God is always about, he wants not only a relationship, he wants a deeper relationship. Where if you are satisfied in God, good. But you're going to plateau, and God's going to keep growing. He keeps getting deeper. And if you don't keep expanding your faith and knowledge, maturity in God, you're going to start to feel a little uh, uh, discord, a little uh, uneasiness, or maybe a little bit like, I'm out of touch with God. I've lost God. It's like, no, you just have to go the next step. What's he asking you to do? And you need to go do it. Stop holding back. Stop doubting in this case. So Abe asks a question in response. I think it's really interesting. It's not about the circumcision. It's not, it's like, he's like, okay, cool. God, we got that. No problem. He asks a question. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In verse 17. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So this is, it's pushed his faith. He's like, okay, God, I, I respect you. I worship you. I just don't see how this is possible. That's his question. And so he offers, he's got a solution for God. God, you don't have to do that. Verse 18, Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, Ishmael is 13 years old. Ishmael is Abram's son. Clearly, Abraham cares for Ishmael. He's like, hey, well, I've got a son, God. You don't have to do this crazy thing through a bunch of old people. We've got a son right here, good to go, 13, strapping young lad. Look at those muscles. You know, like, he's good to go. Use him. And God said, verse 19, God said, no. God said, no. Because here's the problem. Using Ishmael would not bring honor to God. Using Ishmael would not bring honor to God. It would actually dishonor God. 
because of the circumstances in which Ishmael was born. And it would bring, it would actually bring honor and glory to the scheming, abusive ways of man, Sarah and, and Abram, and encourage more people to, in the future to abuse people, young people, to abuse migrants, to abuse women, so that they can get their way. And God says, no, no. We're not going to set a standard where abuse and scheming and man-made ways are going to be the way that you accomplish my plan. So God says, no. See, sometimes in our prayers, if we're not praying with and in the Spirit, then we're going to ask God for things that actually are contrary to his will and his desire. We'll ask God for things that would bring us glory so we think they're good, but they would actually be bad for God. What's the point of all of this? To bring glory and honor to God, not ourselves. We're not in this for ourselves. We're in it for God. That's the relationship. That's the covenant. So we don't want to make God less famous by, look what I did, you know, and God blessed my efforts because I asked God to do this thing for me, and it doesn't bring glory to God. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Abram here was praying, your will be done, or your kingdom come by my will on earth. God, your kingdom come, but do it this way. This is the way I want you to do it. And God said, no, no. Abram, you can do it your own way. That is a possibility here, but that's not walking before God. It's not walking in his presence to go and do. That would be walking outside of God's presence and would therefore incur blame. Abram, you could do this on your own, and whatever destruction and death and problems you bring about, they will be yours. I will be here. They will be yours. And if you return to me, but it complicates the whole situation. Those are Abram's options at this moment. The promise, again, is in jeopardy at this moment. So God confirms that Abram will have a son through his wife, Sarah. God said, verse 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means he laughs. So God is, is cool. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for him and his offspring. We've heard the word everlasting a lot as we've read through this. I haven't made note of it so far or commented on it, but it's everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. This covenant with Abram will be everlasting. We know how, like Matthew lists Jesus as a child of Abraham. We become folded into the family, the promise of Abram through the family. God does act in an unexpectedly generous way towards Ishmael. You can read that in verses uh, 20 and 21, uh, but we're going to skip on to 22. Abram does what God told him to do. When, When he had finished talking with him, when God had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. And this was the moment here. God had told him, he goes up, he's gone. And Abram is left by himself. Abraham is left by himself. And this is the moment. What is Abraham going to do? God left. God's not going to hold the knife. God's not going to do the thing that he's asked you to do. You've got to do it. What is Abraham going to do? Verse 23, then Abraham took Ishmael, 
his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that very day. Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is Abraham's response. He did not delay in making the relationship complete. He had a job to do. He did not delay. It ties right back to the original part where we started in verse 1, where God said, Walk. Walk before me and be blameless. Here, Abram is walking that out. He is walking that out. Ties everything back together. To live in obedience to God is to be blameless. Some translations have perfect, blameless, perfect, like complete. To be complete. We don't have to sin anymore. We will because we're bad and we're doing our best, but we don't have to anymore. Lay aside the sins. We just read that inside. Lay aside the weights and the sins, but we keep picking them up. We got this habit. We're bad, but we can be blameless, not through our own actions, but through our relationship with God. This is inclusive. It includes all the men of his house, everyone born in his house, all the slaves are all part of his family. And this is the picture that the Holy Spirit wants to show us that we can all be a part of God's family if we will separate ourselves from wickedness and walk with God. And Abraham does this immediately. But the problem is we struggle to walk with God. We struggle to walk in the presence of God. Sin makes it very difficult, a weight that burdens us. It hinders us. It slows us down. The world calls to us. In Proverbs, it talks about the, the lady folly who calls from her door, and, and lady wisdom is calling from her door, and we're like, well, folly looks so nice, you know, and, and the world is calling to us, and our, our flesh is weak, and so we give in to these temptations, and it's hard to walk in the presence of God. So instead of walking in the presence of God daily, we're happy to give God a little off the top, an hour at church, and we call it dedication, a bit of money in the plate, and we call it sacrifice, a verse of the day, and we call it devotion. We will talk vaguely about spiritual things to our friends and neighbors and co-workers every once in a while. We call it witnessing. But these are attempted bribes to God most high, possessor of heavens and earth, that we are attempting to bribe him with little things. But God doesn't want us partially. He wants us fully separated in a relationship with him. The circumcision of the flesh was just a sign of the covenant relationship. It was not the entirety of it. What God really wants 
is a circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy, there's a couple, and I just want you to listen. If you want to know where they are, you want to look them up later, I'll give you the verses. But for right now, just listen. Deuteronomy 10 says this, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Circumcise your heart. In Deuteronomy 30, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And you shall again obey the voice of Yahweh and keep all of his commandments that I, in this case Moses, commanded you today. Yahweh your God will make you abundantly prosperous when you obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of law. When you turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, we sang that in the song. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. These can't just be words that we sing, empty words, and call it worship. We sing those songs as an encouragement. So we're supposed to have a circumcised heart. Great. We sing this song, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. I'm a very practical guy. How do you do that? Is there a YouTube tutorial on how to circumcise the heart? Is there a Pinterest post on how we can do these things? Well, no. But Acts 7, again, listen to the word. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in hearts and ears people. Stiff-necked, you stubborn. In Deuteronomy, it said, quit being stubborn. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So how can we be circumcised in heart? Listen to the Holy Spirit. And quit being stubborn. He is telling you to do something. I don't know what it is, but that's what God does. He's working with you. Stop being stubborn. Circumcise your heart. Colossians 2, in him, Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, sins, that stood against us with its legal demands he set aside our sins, nailing it to the cross. So circumcision of the flesh symbolized the cutting away or separation from wickedness, ungodliness, and all that was unholy in the world. The believer, the Christian, under the new covenant, that's us, 
Under the new plan of God's salvation and a renewed relationship with people through the life and sacrifice of Jesus, his son, the believer under the new covenant has experienced a spiritual circumcision symbolizing their putting off the body of flesh. Such circumcision is a spiritual act by which Christ cuts away our old nature of rebellion against God, our incompleteness, our imperfection. Christ cuts that away and gives us a renewed spiritual life characterized by the same life-transforming power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is a circumcision of the heart. A spiritual act is not something we can do. When we sing these songs, we're, we're, we are participating in this. Lord, with all my heart, is this, this is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I desire to worship you. But it's not, if we work for it, then we're abusing Hagar. But we have to walk with God and in his presence. It's a circumcision of the heart. And it's the everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Referring to Jesus and his followers, the promise is true for us today as well. We can walk with God and be blameless because that's what Jesus did. And his death, burial, and resurrection proved that he did that. And it makes it possible for us to have that same relationship with him. We can receive complete forgiveness. We can be made whole again, body, spirit, mind of all that we've done and all that we will do. We can walk blameless before Jesus because he walked blameless on this earth. And we could be in a relationship with the creator and the king of the universe. We can do that. We need only to repent. To declare our love with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. To declare our love for Jesus. Every part of our life then we dedicate in allegiance to Jesus and his ways. We circumcise our heart. We cut away the parts of it that would keep us from Jesus. We throw away the things that are wasted, the things that are hindering us, the things that hold us back from our walk with Jesus. You know what those things are. They're different for all of us, but we're convicted of them, and God's like, get rid of this stuff. Get rid of this stuff. And give me your full heart. Give me your full heart. We're stubborn and we say, no, God, like, I need that stuff. And God's like, no, you don't. You need me. Walk in my presence. Live in my presence and be complete. Are you willing today to allow Jesus to cut away your old nature of rebellion and give you a renewed spiritual life characterized by the same life-transforming power that raised him from the dead? Are you willing to walk in the presence of God and be complete? I want to leave you with a charge this morning to live your life in the presence of God. It will be harder to waste your money on worthless things. It will be easier to honor God with your wealth. It will be harder to do the things of evil. We talk about the, the, the woman, the the woman folly and the woman wisdom. In some ways, to live in the presence of God is to put away the worldly things. It's harder 
to do the things of the world, to go to the websites we shouldn't go to on the internet or to flirt with other women. When we love, when we are living our lives in the presence of God, it's easier to be faithful and to love our families deeper. It'd be harder to insult, lie, and tell dirty jokes and easier to speak the truth and love your neighbor when we're in the presence of God. It'll be harder to slack off and cut corners when we live in the presence of God. It'll be easier to work hard and be productive. It'll be harder to spend your time wasting it on scrolling and streaming and easier to spend time reading your Bible and praying when you're living in the presence of God. Deuteronomy, it tells us, what does the Lord your God require of you? Five things. Fear the Lord your God. Respect him. Bow before him. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord your God. Do those four things with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 10, 12. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.